Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Blake Street Irregulars, your local Colorado Rockies podcast, brought to you, as always, by Tap 14. Tap 14 on 1920 Blake Street. Just a hop, skip, and a jump from the home plate entrance of Coors Field, uh, right along that rooftop there. Uh, whether it's the summer or whether it's the spring or whether right as we get now into fall and winter, it's still the place to go. The views are amazing, and it's warm, and they have everything enclosed. So it's a perfect spot for you to go. 70 Colorado beers on tap, more than 100 distilled Colorado spirits, and a, re- and a regionally sourced menu from Taylor Creedon that rotates every season, so it's my spot to go before and after baseball games, and even, hey, when I'm downtown and near that Coors Field area in Lodo, I make sure I stop there every time as well. Check them out at tap14.com. Spell it out, tap14.com. And as we record this, it is November, and so we have a, a very interesting, a very special, and, and a somber to event to this podcast, but we're also using this as an opportunity to remember one of Colorado's great athletes. It's Roy Halladay, the two-time Cy Young Award winner for the Phillies and for the Blue Jays, one of the rare pitchers to ever win the Cy Young in both the AL and the NL, passed away just a, about a week and a half ago, unfortunately, in a single-plane accident. And, and with me today is Ed Henderson, the longtime scout for the Marlins and the Pirates, and still about to enter your 25th season with the, the Twins. You scouted. Roy Halladay, way back in the day. Uh, tell me a little bit of, of remembering what he was like, even at that young age where you could tell that he was going to be something special. Well, it's good to be with you. I, I, I tell you what, Roy Halladay was an incredible talent. But more than that, he was a wonderful human being. And I think we've heard a lot about that over the last few days. Um, my first assignment uh, as a scout was to go out to Arvada West High School and watch him pitch. And, you know, I, my very first year with the Marlins, and I'm thinking to myself after seeing Halliday pitch one time, well, how tough can this be? I mean, this scouting job's pretty easy, you know? You just go watch a guy, and there you go. You file a report. You know, that was uh, 24 years ago, uh, 23 years ago. And uh, I got to tell you that uh, there's never been another one like him. With, with all due respect to uh, Brad Lidge and Mark Melanson and some of the other great talents that have come through here, Roy was in a class all by himself, and uh, he was just an absolute delight to watch pitch in high school. I got a chance to watch him pitch uh, several times in in the minors, and then of course at the major league level on on numerous occasions. So you could tell right from the very beginning when uh, the very first time I watched him, he was something that was beyond what we were accustomed to seeing here in Colorado. He had a talent. He had a he had an absolute uh, regimen that he went through. And uh, very, very dedicated to his craft and one of the toughest pitchers I've ever seen. Started that minor league career back in 1995, which was the first year the Rockies moved into Coors Field. Right. So there's an interesting sort of dynamic at work there because there was the idea already that Colorado was going to be an almost impossible place for pitchers (laughs) to succeed. And really, uh, there, there have been some earlier than Roy, but really he was in many ways the guy that kicked it off alongside with the Rockies where so many young Colorado players maybe had a, an enthusiasm for the game that they hadn't before. Now all of a sudden took towards the game and, and scouts and the rest of the world started to look at, at Colorado and said, okay, not only do they have talent here, but guys that can pitch here to begin with yeah. certainly should be able to pitch uh, at the major league level, at somewhere at sea level or in Colorado, something like that. So uh, in, in some ways, too, as the major league world finally came to Colorado, Roy Halladay was kind of one of its early standard bears. Yeah, and his uh, his very first major league game, 
he pitched a one or you know pitched a one hitter. And I think uh, I think it was Bobby Higginson from the Tigers was the guy that got the the, the hit off of him. And you know you could tell at that point that uh, you know, and I think a lot of people in baseball who perhaps didn't really know much about him up until that point. Uh, their heads got turned very quickly. And the thing that impressed me, Sean, more than anything about him, I think you talk about all the records that he set, all the uh, the wonderful accomplishments. There's two things that really stand out for me. Number one, the number of innings that he pitched. And, and from like, I'm going to say, and I'm just guessing here, I haven't looked it up, but I think if you go from, let's say, probably 2002 through maybe 2009, I got to believe he was leading the major leagues in in innings pitched and most certainly in terms of complete games. I mean, he was remarkable. The thing about Roy, when he took the mound, uh, the manager knew that this was not a guy that was going to be looking into the dugout in the fifth or sixth inning looking to come out of the game. He wanted wanted to finish the game. He expected to finish the game, and he wanted to be left out there. And uh, a little later, I've got a funny story for you about that, about – one of his outings in the major leagues where it didn't quite go his way. But uh, we'll come back to that. But he he really was, I think, uh, a guy who was an absolute throwback. People that loved baseball in the 1950s and 1960s, Roy Halladay was your kind of player. And uh, I think he was uh, – he, he set the standard. He was really a guy that I think raised the level of starting pitching for the time that he was in the game. Yeah, even back in that 2005 season, 19 starts for him, but five of those were complete games. And when you look between, as you pointed out, 2002 and, and 2000, we'll actually go all the way to 2011, he either led or was tied for the league lead, whichever one he was in at that, that point, that 2010 season in the National League, six times. Yeah. Out of that span of time. It's pretty remarkable. And when you look at the innings pitch, there was four times that he was tied or led the league as well. So this is, you're right, the guy that took the ball every day and basically had to be taken out of the game. He yeah. wanted to go ahead and finish what he started. And more often than anybody in the league or during that time, uh, he did. And it's worth mentioning in that span of time, too, uh, almost 20 shutouts during that same span of time of, of utter dominance over the course of his career. So uh, I think that was that's a good way of putting it, the, the idea that he was something of a, a throwback that yeah. a manager today, you don't even think about that. Even no. great pitchers, even a, a Clayton Kershaw type of pitcher, they don't necessarily, even though he can go out there and pitch all nine, managers don't look at it and say, all right, hey, Clayton, go, go give us, just take the game, give our bullpen the day off, and we'll get back no, at it tomorrow. That's right. They don't do that anymore, even to guys who can. And, yeah. and how they all but insisted on it. Absolutely. And one of the one of the funnier stories that I alluded to a few minutes ago was one that uh, Roy told at the uh, 2015 induction ceremony for the Colorado Sports Hall of Fame. And I was not there that night. I was out of town, unfortunately. But a friend of mine who was there recanted this story to me recently. And I, I, I think fans of Roy Halladay will love it. It was a situation where uh, Roy was with the Phillies. He was, uh, they were on the road, and I, I want to say it was in Houston. I'm not sure, but they were on the road. And Roy had an off night, and he was getting worked over. And when, when the local team there hits a home run, fireworks go off. So about the seventh inning, the manager comes out, and Roy's saying to him that, uh, you know, are you coming to get me? And he goes, no, I'm not doing that. He says, I'm just giving the guy in the, up in the – stands up there who's setting up the fireworks a little more time to get ready for the next one, you know, and it just broke the, broke the pace of, of the game. It relaxed Roy a little bit. 
And, uh, you know, he had a great sense of humor and he very self-effacing. When you talk to him, uh, he would he would tell you stories about things where perhaps things didn't go so well as that outing I just recounted for you. Looking back to when when you were scouting him back as a, as a prep, you know, I noticed you, you brought even some some notes with you. Right. You know what? Uh, it, it's always funny when you look at baseball scouting. You can think of the the great misses, the the Brian Taylors that everyone's yeah. convinced. Oh, he's in the Hall of Fame before he ever pitches and flames out. And, and there are guys that the Mike Piazzas where they totally miss on. And the only reason he's drafted is basically a a favor to Tommy Lasorda, yeah. who's his godfather. That's right. Uh, how did you when you looked at at, at how they pitch? You know, how did you? project it how, how close did you get did you feel like well i tell you Knowing what it's an exact science we're not holding yeah, it against yeah you. no <laughs> and, and, and it's right it's not it is not an exact science and i think statistics have taken over the scouting role a great deal more in the last probably 10 to 15 years but really i think to be effective you've got to have both the blend of the you know the saber metrics the stats and also just what you see and in every way sean he was impressive he uh you know, I can remember, again, this was my first year with the Marlins. And in that first year, we were looking at two or three players here in Colorado. But the guy that we were absolutely locked in on was Halliday. And in one game, I remember, and I think it might have been in the, uh, in the tournament that year, in 95, um, we saw Halliday pitch, and I say we, because there were several representatives from the Marlins that came out to see him. There was the general manager, Dave Dombrowski, the scouting director, Gary Hughes, the national cross-checker, Dick Egan, the regional scouting supervisor, and myself. That's unheard of, to have five guys from one team watching one player at a game. And, and that was the kind of attention that Roy Halladay commanded. And I think that when you look at his body of work over the course of his time, not only in high school, but in, in the minors and more impressively in Major League Baseball. You know, in many respects, when he was out on the mound, he was the dominant guy. He was, he was the guy that, that people feared going up against. And I can remember having conversations with high school players here in 94 and 95 saying, you know what, when you're facing Halliday, don't confuse the friendly kind of goofy guy you see off the field with the guy that you're going to get out on the mound because he will flip that switch and bring the thunder to you so fast. And if you don't give him what, what he wants is the majority of that plate. If, you back, if you're hanging over the plate, you're going to get hit. No question about it. And he had a fierce competitiveness to him, Sean, that, that people wouldn't pick up if you saw him off the field. Different guy. Our guest is Ed Henderson, longtime Major League Baseball scout, about his 25th season with the Twins. Also, before that, the, the Marlins, as he referred to, the Pittsburgh Pirates as well. And and, and what you're referring to about Holiday was sort of legendary. We talked about yeah. but the fact that he was a guy that in the in the the clubhouse before a game was intense. I mean, it was the game face type of thing. Teammates loved him and said he was always friendly. But on the day he was pitching, yeah. Don't talk to him. It was game time before it was game time. He, yeah. was, he was in his routine. He was a creature of habit. He's the kind of guy that, that knew exactly the way he wanted things to go every time out. And, and that does seem to be something that's uh, maybe, while not entirely consistent among great pitchers, certainly something with, that happens with a, a lot of regularity. These guys that understand, this is how I handle my business. This is how I handle it day in and day out. And, and teammates adjust to it and respect it, especially when you can get the things done on the field that Roy Halladay did. Absolutely. And you know, as I was telling you before we uh, started preparing this, you know, one of the thrills for my wife and myself was 10 years in a row we went to the All-Star game. 
And uh, that started here in Denver, and then it continued on with at Fenway Park. And the leading up to 2002, which was the first time Roy was selected for an all-star team with the Toronto Blue Jays. And so prior to the game, several days beforehand, he and I had talked on the phone, and I said, hey, we're going to be there in Milwaukee. We'll look for you. And he says, yeah, well, he gave me his, where, where they were staying, gave me the name of the hotel. He says, come on over. We'll, we'll get together. So the night of, um, you know, which was the night of the Futures game, which is the Sunday before the real all-star events really start taking place, before home run derby and, of course, before the game, Diane and I went over and, and met Roy and his family at the hotel. And uh, he had told me ahead of time, he was always very generous with this. Uh, he said, hey, if you have anything you want me to sign, just bring it along. Well, I didn't have anything. So I went in the hotel. They had one of those kiosks where you could buy a, you know, an all-star baseball. Right, right. You the know? all-star game, you, you can't swing you, you your can, hand yeah. around without hitting yeah, three of exactly, them. Exactly, right. you know. So, you know, I went to the hotel kiosk, and I bought this baseball. And I, when we got over there, um, you know, I, we, we visited with Roy and his family for probably a good half hour, 40 minutes. And he said, hey, were you going to bring something for me to sign? And I said, sure, I got this ball here. So I hand it to him, Sean, and he starts writing on it. And I thought, what the hell are you doing, writing a term paper? And uh, he hands it back to me. He goes, no, I was just trying to personalize it. So I looked at it, and it said, to Ed, thanks for the great advice. Instead of advice. Advice. Uh, S instead of the C. Yeah, S instead of C. <laughs> okay. So, uh, and, of course, he signed the ball. And, uh, you know, so I said, Roy, do you recall when we were sitting in your parents' living room in Colorado, you know, a few years back, and we were sitting there that night talking about your future. And one of the things we talked about was what options you had available to you. And we talked about college. And I said, Roy, if you'd have gone to college, you'd know how to spell that f***ing word. <laughs> <laughs> and, and without missing a beat, he laughs and he says, Ed, you're absolutely right. But I'd also passed up about $50 million. Dollars, yeah, you know? that's a pretty good argument. Uh, I, I, been <laughs> and that ended the argument. <laughs> yeah. You know? It's a good point. Game, set, match, yeah, holiday. That's true. So, I guess uh, the point is you're going to college to get a good job if you can. Uh, if, if you can skip if you, college if you get, and get, get that great 17th job. 17th overall in yeah, the draft and that's you can right. skip it, I guess yeah. you go ahead and, a absolutely. and skip it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, looking at his, his legacy as a player and then obviously cut uh, far too short at, at 40, but you think of the, the great athletes and you talked about the Colorado Sports Hall of Fame in which he was inducted in just a few years ago, 2015. Right. I, I guess I look at Colorado baseball history and there are some names, but the two that stand out to me are Roy Halladay and Goose Gossage. Right. Two guys uh, that are Hall of Fame caliber players. Uh, my guess, and you talked about that first All-Star game for, for Roy, he went to seven more over right. the course of his career. And... Uh, He's a Hall of Famer, isn't he? When you look at all the accomplishments, yeah. I mean, I'll, I can roll them off real quick. Eight-time All-Star, two-time Cy Young Award, uh, led the league in, May, in, the, in, in wins twice, uh, pitched that perfect game back in, in 2010. And by the way, one of only two pitchers in history to pitch a postseason no-hitter. Uh, Roy Halladay gets forgotten because the other one, by the way, is you know Don Larson, who was also yeah. the perfecto in 1956 to win the World Series. But uh, these are pretty monumental achievements. I think so. And I I think that, uh, you know, Roy is eligible in 2019. I'm hoping that they can waive the weight and just do it next year. I, I don't know that that's feasible. Um, and I, I know there'll be some arguments because, Sean, you know, people are going to say, well, he didn't have the 300 wins and he didn't have this. But he had some statistics that I think in today's age of baseball, and especially with pitching now in this day and age, I think that – information, those records, those numbers 
are so much more impressive than might otherwise be considered for Hall of Fame eligibility. And again, we talked about it earlier, innings pitched, you know, complete games. You know, imagine what it means. We've seen it here when the, when the Rockies struggle, with, if, if the starters are going out in the fourth or fifth inning, how quickly in the season that bullpen can get gassed, right? They're out of, they're out of juice in May or June. And, and then you're just limping along through the rest of the season. Well, with Roy pitching for you every fifth day, you know, there's a good chance you're going to get a complete game out of him. And even and if you don't, you're talking seven. Exactly. Bare minimum. So, so the impact of your bullpen that night is going to be very minimal. And I think, you know, you, you cannot emphasize enough the value of that over the course of 162 games. So if you're going to ask me, do I think you should be in the Hall of Fame? Absolutely. As soon as possible. But I think, you know, obviously there'll be some, as has always seems to come the way here, there'll be some uh, purists that may say, well, he didn't have quite the numbers that, you know, are Hall of Fame numbers. But I, I'd say to heck with that. You know, that's, that's just, in my book, absolute nonsense. Halliday belongs in the Hall of Fame. End of story. I, I'm inclined to agree because you look at the way baseball changes, and you brought it up right there. When Tom Glavin... Uh, was reaching first his 300 wins over the course of his career. Right. There were a lot of baseball folks that it's turned out to be right said this may be the last guy to ever yeah. get 300 wins because the game has changed. You don't treat players the same way. The situations are very different. And and I think in that case, the idea behind some of the numbers and and the way people approach it is very different. We wish that the the uh, Giancarlo Stanton t- today was recording this won the NL MVP on a, a team that was mediocre had pretty pretty good numbers obviously right. big home run numbers one of the finalists was Joey Votto on a last place team yeah. because people are starting to realize okay the Reds were a last place team but it clearly wasn't Joey Votto's fault he had right. a fantastic right. year right. so did. you know if he's on a better team what's the difference the, yeah. the year is the year and the combination of people starting to look at those things and realize that at every point in time. Anytime the Hall of Fame should be considered, it should be considered with your peers. Because just as there are different eras in every sport, baseball clearly has different eras. How do you compare during your era? Was Roy Halladay one of the best pitchers of his era? And I don't think you're going to find anybody who says that he wasn't. So I'm inclined to agree with you. You have to look at these numbers and say, okay, so what? Used to be 500 home runs gets you into the Hall of Fame as a hitter. Should it anymore? And it wasn't all that long ago. When When I was in college, there were nine guys who had hit home runs over 500 over the course of their history. And uh, Frank Robinson, I remember at the time, was fourth. Frank Robinson is about 12th now on the all-time list. I mean, so should 500 be some sort of automatic entry? Of course not. The the standards of baseball change. Yeah, you've got to adjust. I think the analysis has to adjust with it. Absolutely. No question. I think, you know, when you're talking about pitchers in the era that Halliday pitched, and I'm going to say again, be, let, let's just take that period from 2002 through 2011. I don't think anybody could argue that when you combine the effort that he gave to both the Blue Jays in the American League and the Phillies in the National League, who's going to argue that there was a more dominant, complete pitcher during that era? I mean, yeah, there were guys that came along that maybe had one or two good years. You're thinking of Tim Lincecum type of situation. Yeah, exactly. The big... The- you know, the comet that burns bright and then fades exactly, out. Exactly, and then fades out. And I think with Roy, I think the situation is one of, you know, he was a consistent performer throughout his career. It started again when he when he pitched his first game against Detroit and carried all the way through. And I think, you know, when you talk about guys that uh, that were really in the game for a certain era, 
I really can't think of anybody right now who was more dominant during that period of time than Roy Halladay. And what is his legacy? We, we've talked about how great a major league player he is, and I think we understand that. But I, I guess I look at I'm I'm a native Colorado kid myself. Okay. And, uh, I, I, I older than Roy, but uh, you know I I played uh, you know in the high school and in the uh, in the, the late '80s as uh, a little bit different there, but not not that different. Right. You know, less than a decade apart, and. Uh, I remember at the time, it, you know, the idea of even having a major league team was was unbelievable. It would never happen in, in Colorado. And then being able to be seeing the occasional scout uh, at, at a game at anywhere in Colorado was was kind of shocking. And when you look at Roy Halladay's legacy as a Colorado athlete and the, the, the players who have followed behind him in his footsteps, what is his legacy in the end really going to be for Colorado sports? And, and how much of a loss is this? Uh, to the Colorado sports tapestry. Can we even really put it into perspective yet? Well, in answer to the second part of the question, Sean, I would say uh, I don't think so. I don't think we've we've absorbed it yet. I think it's going to take time to kind of realize how much of a loss it was because, again, I mean, I, I'm i talking about scouting now for, for me for almost a quarter of a century. And Roy Halladay didn't just set the bar. He was the bar, and he will continue to be the bar, I think, by which other pitchers get measured, fair or otherwise, because I think his commitment to it, his preparation, he was a student of the game. I think he was. there was an intensity to him that was absolutely unparalleled from what I've seen. Um, and, again, there have been, there've been a number of guys that have followed him down the path. I mentioned him earlier, Brad Lidge from Cherry Creek, Mark Melanson from Golden, David Ardsma, Sean Chacon from up in Greeley. All great in their own right, and I think all great contributors to the game of baseball and have done Colorado proud. But I'll tell you what, when you're talking about a legacy here, when you're talking about Roy Halladay, he sits alone atop the mountain in my book. The, the only other person I can even think of, Colorado, is, is like we talked about Gossage. Gossage, yeah. And, and totally, yes, both pitchers, but very different yeah. roles. And, yeah. And uh, just fascinating to, to see how uh, baseball has changed in the span of time. And it, it's really been a treat to talk to you about this because it's, uh, there, there is a bit of a, a heart sickness when there is a great athlete uh, cut down at, at such a young age yeah. for whatever reason that it feels like there is uh, maybe not as a player but still missed potential the yeah. opportunity to pass that on to, to other people and to pass on not only his knowledge but the the joy for the game the professionalism that he showed uh, and it really is a, a remarkable loss for the community and it but it's been a, a really a real treat to celebrate his legacy with you and and to be able to have an opportunity to, to talk to someone who was really there uh, at the very beginning yeah it, it, it's it's been really a thrill well thank you it's been fun. I, I remember uh, when Roy got drafted, we were having a conversation on the phone, and he, he had seen this uh, lime green Corvette, I think it was, that was being that was being advertised at some Chevy dealership out on, I think it was right off I-25, somewhere up north. And uh, he and I were joking about it, and I said, you know, you should buy yourself a toy. You know, but I sent him a card, Sean, a few days after that, and I said, go get the toy. Do something nice for your family. But more than anything, be good to the game. And I don't think there's any question about it. He was damn good to the game. And the, and, and the game appreciated it. And the game will continue to appreciate it. I think his legacy is going to live on. I think he's going to inspire other kids that are playing baseball to, to become better at just preparation, developing your talents, working hard. Instead of being outside doing things, 
you know, that might have been more fun at the time in Roy's life, he'd be down in the basement working out and, and just constantly thinking about how can I get better? And you saw that pay off on the mound. You saw it pay off in, throughout his career. Great guy, great pitcher. And like I said earlier, he was an elite pitcher, but he was an elite human being. And I think that's the legacy. That's what people are going to remember. And I think 20 years from now, Sean, people will still be remembering and talking fondly about Roy Halladay. His name is Ed Henderson, longtime Major League scout, currently with the, the Twins, also previously with the Marlins and then the Pirates. Over 25 years, you, you've seen it all. So it was wonderful to have you, and I appreciate the time, especially we're talking, we're doing a baseball podcast this November, which uh, is unusual, just fine for me. I yeah. could talk about it all 12 <laughs> Absolutely. months a year. But uh, a, a, an opportunity, I think, to maybe brush away a little bit of the sadness and celebrate uh, the career and, and the life and times of a, of a wonderful athlete and a wonderful Colorado athlete athlete that sets such a high standard. So, Ed, I really appreciate your time My today. pleasure. It's been Thank fun. Thank you very much. Thanks to all of you who are listening. Uh, thanks to our sponsor, Tap14. Make sure you check them out again, tap14.com. Uh, spell it out there. And uh, baseball season will be on us soon enough, but uh, an opportunity to reflect and appreciate the legacy that Roy Halladay made, not only in the major leagues, but in Colorado. And uh, hopefully you enjoyed this uh, opportunity to listen uh, to the man of the gentleman who has been there from the very beginning. So for Ed, my name is Sean Drotar. Thank you very much for listening to the Blake Street Irregulars on Mile High Sports.